we want to talk about relationships and sexuality, but we want to look at that through the, through the lives of these three men. And we're just going to look at their lives, make some comments, and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do in you. I don't, I don't have a lot of strong things to say, at least as far as in my spirit right now, but as we go through it, some things might pop out. But let's start in Judges. You know, you know the story of Samson. You always hear about Samson and Delilah, you know, but Samson's got some other, you know, other things we want to look at in his life. And his folks gave birth to him. And then it kind of fast forward. You don't hear anything about his life. We're in Judges 14. Don't hear anything about his life. Fast forward. And uh, Judges 14 says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. We're starting already with a problem here because this guy belongs to the family of Israel, right? And he's chasing after some of these Philistine girls, you know, so this is the problem. This may be a problem here. And you don't know what it's like. When you, I remember when I was an unbeliever or when I was a brand new believer and I still, God was still really dealing with me about do I spend time and at the time date girls who were unbelievers, because something, there's something in the spiritual realm there. Because an unbelieving girl doesn't have any standard at all. They're not evil. They're not evil incarnate. But if she's living just by the culture of our society, then she doesn't have any boundaries around her life at all. I mean, just her life is pulling on you. It's an incredible, incredible pull. Because she doesn't have, she doesn't have God's boundary around her life. And, and, and her life is about her own needs. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the, I'm not blaming girls. I'm just talking about a guy like that. It's the same thing. He's living for himself. But a daughter's living for herself in that same way. And, and one of her greatest needs is to attract young men to herself. So you get around a, a Philistine girl, so to speak, today, you're going to be in trouble. There's going to be something pulling on you. And there was a war over my life. I remember going to a seminar and a guy was talking about don't, get connected to unbelievers. And I thought, man, the guy's got a lot to say, but how can he be so wrong here? I mean, you know, I mean, come on. Guy. Well, I happen to have a little friend that was an unbeliever too. You know, you argue a little harder with God when you've got some stuff in your back pocket. You ever notice that? And when, when you don't have anything in your back pocket, man, anything God says goes, this is great, God. I love hearing what you have to say to me. There's no problem here. Uh-uh, this is great. Come on. I love your truth, Lord. Hey, you want me to give up what? You want me to end this? What relationship do you want me to end? That relationship? Ouch. Ouch. I mean, it was really clear. You read Exodus 34. I was just reading this the other day. It's just so clear. I mean, what God wanted challenging Israel about the false gods and the, the whole system, the belief system of these people that they were going to be encountering. And again, you understand it's, it's symbolic of our walk in Christ. It's symbolic. And when we look at the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a type of, of God's people, the church. And, and as they were coming through and entering the promised land, as a type of the church coming into the promised land. And God's very strong and he challenges, challenges us to tear down the, the false God system and you read uh, Exodus 34, but it does specifically talks about sons and daughters. I'll get to it in a minute. It says, God said, behold, I'm going to make a covenant before you. Make a covenant be before all your people. I will perform miracles which you have not 
would have not been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations. And all the people among you who you live will see the working of the Lord. For it's a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. And then he says this, be sure and observe all that I command you this day. I'm going to drive out the Amorite. I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. It was a warning about connecting in that way. But rather, you're to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars, cut down their ashram. You'll not worship any god, any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god lest you make a, a covenant with inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone invite you to eat the sacrifice. Now look at this, it says, verse 16, and you take some of his daughters for your sons and some of his daughters play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. So the intermingling of daughters and sons all of a sudden would lead to the worship of these false gods. That was one of the warnings. It says, don't do it. You're gonna get, you're gonna get sidetracked. It's almost impossible to stay true to your God if you take an intermarry. You don't want to intermarry. Talking about faithfulness to God. So back to our friend here in Judges. He gets hooked up with a Philistine daughter. And look at his attitude. He came back, he said, to his mom and dad in verse two, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Go get, go get her for me. Mama, Papa, go get her for me. His father and mother is talking. Here's mom and dad trying to say, hey, what's, what's up? Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looked good to me. <laughs> she looked good to me. <laughs> I mean, that's almost kind of where, I mean, his mind is like, come on, guy. But it's always a challenge. See, it's a challenge that, that male, our maleness, see, we understand that if we're starting to look to the daughters of God's family, there's a built-in standard there that starts to challenge us already. It's already challenging us. And it's hard. It's hard as a guy. I, I understand that. But I'm just appealing to you guys. Look, at that's built in for you. It's, it's sort of like, kind of like, hey, there's a challenge here. This gal has some boundaries around her life, and it's a built-in challenge to, to you as a man. It challenges you. It challenges your standards. It challenges what you want. It challenges what your desires are. It challenges what your expectations are. And interrelating with the sisters, that's one of our safeguards. I mean, you draw some lines around your life and interrelate with your sisters in Christ. And really, the, the bottom line is why interrelate with, if you interrelate with anybody, then, you're, then, then you have to say, that person is potentially someone I might marry. Well, that's a pretty serious thing to say because you've got to take a really hard look at who you want to end up married to the re for the rest of your life. And you may have some pretty face and some little figure that's kind of walking in front of you, but you got to live some life. And there's a whole lot of life outside the bedroom door. And the only problem with life is that this culture doesn't tell you that. All, all this culture says to you 24-7 is 
that marriage and meeting this one person is all about sexual and romantic and emotional ecstasy. It's the top of the mountain, and you never get off the top of the mountain. Just watch any show, watch any movie, read any magazine. That's what it's all about. And there's not very much life outside the bedroom, just a little bit of life. When it's really a total flip-flop. I feel so sorry for you guys, the amount of baloney that gets dished out to you. It is absolutely incredible to me, the amount of stuff that is dished out to you that if you took it hook, lying, and sinker, how much it would guarantee heartache and brokenness. And a lot of you, unfortunately, a lot of your friends, a lot of people you grew up with, a lot of people who don't have the blessing of hearing God's truth, they are getting ripped off and destroyed. I mean, their lives are unraveling, man. Girls' lives are being absolutely obliterated. Guys are confused. They're running, and they don't know which end is up. They can't even look in the mirror and see somebody they respect. That's rough. Because you were designed for respect and honor, man. You were designed to be able to look in the mirror and see somebody you respect. And one of the greatest things you need as a young man is to be able to say, look, I'm doing what's right instead of what's easy. I respect myself. God's helping me walk the right way. I'm not some slave to my lust, but God's given me some victory in some areas and I'm growing. I know who I am, what I want, where I'm going. I'm learning to say yes to God when no one's looking. That's where real character starts getting built. I'm paying the price when no one's looking. It's gonna make a difference when, other, when people are around me. Mm-hmm. Get her for she look good to me. <laughs> it's a weird scripture. Verse four says, however, his mother and father did not know this was from the Lord for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. And I don't even like reading that scripture to you, but I think basically I was reading some commentaries on it. It said, God's gonna have to use whatever he can use. And this is really a tough time in Israel. And Samson was the best thing he had. That's really a sad story. You know, it, it talks about different times in Israel when, 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 when the leaders were not serving God and the leaders were not leading people in the right way. And here God had a calling on Samson, a calling and, a, and, a, and he was to be leading. And here he was, here he was walking, compromising, and he was still the one that God was calling to lead, lead his people. And Israel was going to be hurting because of that. I mean, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. And that's, that's one of the things that, that, that Israel struggled with all through her history is, man, either if you have a good leader, that's why God's speaking to you and you, God's challenge to you to be leading your generation is so important. I mean, you got a choice to make. You know, your generation is going to be as good as the people in this room. And come on, you can, you can be an influence here. You can be an influence in this region. You can be in a place where young people can come. There's a ton of people that are in restaurant, uh, restaurants and college campuses that, that could come in here and hear some things that would change their whole life. Maybe some of you are right in that spot. Maybe you're just new in that process. Maybe that's what's beginning to happen or have been happening in your life. That's awesome. God's going to heal, restore, and give you hope for the future. It's what he wants to do. But God was stuck here with Samson. And Samson is, he's out of it. He's all about what the outward is. She looks good to me. You know, that's a whole other thing I can make a comment on. You know, it's great to be attracted to somebody. You know, every relationship starts with that kind of attraction. But then the real question is, what do you do after that? I mean, do you just focus on that? Is that what it's all about? Do we just focus on the external? I don't even remember what my wife looks like. We've been married 29 years. Because I know her after her heart now. I mean, it's like that. As important as that might have seemed to have been at one point, believe me, it really is the heart. It's really whether you can get along with this person. The pretty face. I mean, I, I see the mafia guys. I'm going to go to Russia 25 times. I see these guys with these hookers on their arms. 
And you think they'd be the happiest guys on the face of the universe, you know? Dressed to kill these beautiful sexual ladies, man. But you know what? These gals are going to claw the guy's eyes out. There's no intimacy there. There's no closeness there. They just have this physical magnetism, this kind of animalistic attraction, which is satisfied through lust. And when they're finished, what do they got? They got no connection at all. Anybody been there? I mean, this, and we're talking, and if you have, I'm sorry, because you've experienced the worst part of what God ever designed for humanity. One part of his design for sexuality without the other parts of soul, friendship, and spiritual oneness. That leaves you empty and feeling burned and used up, whether you're a young man or a young woman. That's what the mafia guys got. All they get, they all they got is sex and no intimacy. You weren't made for that. If you're a young man, you were not made for that. That's why Samson is going down the wrong road. He's all about the externals. She's a babe, man. She's sexual and she's a babe. Get her. She looked good to me, huh? Now, am I saying girls don't be attractive? Don't be, don't cultivate a spirit of beauty and attractiveness? I'm just saying, yeah, that's fine. But there's a huge difference between being attractive and being seductive and being beautiful and modest and being a big flirt who's kind of flaunting her power to attract. You got a choice to make, ladies. You can be a kingdom girl with the morality of the Philistines right here in the church. Go ahead, do your little thing right in the middle of God's family. If you wanna do that, that's not gonna help any of the brothers. It's not gonna help you. Samson is focused on the outward. And again, the outward isn't bad. God, God uses that. I mean, but once that's established, then the relationship develops in a completely different way. We're to, we're to de-emphasize the outward and try to get to know the person. Samson never had that at all. I mean, you, you read some of this stuff about how he relates to his wife. You go to the next page here, and uh, there's a situation where they're kind of, there's this riddle he makes up, and it, and it and Samson's a, he's a Nazarite. You know, he wasn't, he was supposed to not ha uh, have any product of the grapevine. You remember that? Not that he was not, it's three different things on, on his life as a Nazarite. Part of it's consecration to God. One of them, he wouldn't have any product of the vine. So he's, he's not gonna drink any wine. And, and that was during a time when wine was really common. It wasn't, a, I mean, everybody drank wine. But he was willing to forego something that everybody else, that was very permissible. That's that calling of, of, to God. When you're a Nazarite to God, you're willing to forego something that's permissible, but for, but for the sake of your consecration to God, you're just saying, Lord, I'm willing to go without this. Even though, even though it's permissible, I'm willing to go without it as a demonstration of my commitment to you. That's what he did. That's what, that's what, the other thing was marked by his long hair. They, don't, they didn't get a haircut. The Nazarites didn't get a haircut. They just let their hair grow long. So whenever there was problems in Israel, God would raise up the Nazarites, and you could see them. They were marked. I mean, there's, some, there's one of the Nazarites. He hasn't cut his hair. They were visibly marked by God. You could see them. There was a, such a difference. There was a difference. In this case, long hair was that mark, one of the marks on them. And I wish that God would, God would mark a generation, maybe not with long hair, but he'd mark you in some way that anybody that saw you right away, they'd say, look, it's one of the Nazarites. I can see him. I mean, they're cool, they're fun to be around. They're not square, but man, there's something about this person. There's something about this young man. There's something about this young lady. They're marked by God. How they talk, they talk different. They don't use those words, those gutter words, man. They, they're willing to, they're different. 
and they're marked by sexual purity. That's what Timothy, remember Timothy? Timothy challenged, or Paul challenged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. What were the five marks? He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't let anyone be ashamed of your youth, but rather what? In speech and in conduct, how you live, in your faith, your love, and your purity, sexual purity, be an example of those who believe. You're marked. Man, you're marked. Look how you act, how you're treating the young ladies, how you walk before them. You're a man of honor. You're a man of What's going on? Who are you? What planet did you come from? Yeah, I'm really different because I'm trusting God to bless my life. I don't have to play the games. And I realize the stuff that's being piped into my generation is, is almost 100% baloney. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. God's teaching me about real relationships. He's teaching me really about a daughter's heart. He's teaching me really about what manhood is about. I'm not buying the stuff. So he wasn't, the third thing is they weren't supposed to touch any dead thing. And I don't know, you can take that, you can spiritualize that for the New Testament today. I think, man, that's like not being around anything dead. It's you're around what gives you life. If a relationship with somebody gives you life, you're with it. But you gotta be connected to things that give you life. It's part of the Nazarite. That was, that was a calling on Samson. And man, the guy was full of compromise. Here he was supposed to be this man. He had long hair, and there was a time where God's favor was on him in spite of some of these, these compromises. That's what I can't figure out exactly. It's a really a weird kind of story. But I'm, I'm just trying to draw out some things of it just for you to reflect on. And this one point, they have this little, this, this uh, a little kind of a, oh, it's sort of a little riddle. And it's about this, this honey coming out of this dead lion that had died. The problem is Samson ate, ate out of it, you know. You know him eating out of that dead lion right away? It, it violated one of the things. He, was, he wasn't supposed to touch any dead thing. But he's eating out of the lion. and See, he, he gets to do whatever he wants, I guess. I don't know. He must have a gift from God. I'm strong. I'm gifted. I'm called by God. So I, get, I guess I can just do whatever I want. You know a lot of young people in the church are gifted by God. They have a gift they have a sense of kind of knowing God in some way, but then they start excusing themselves, cutting little corners. I get to do whatever I want. God's got a calling on my life. I got some gifts. You mean anybody like that before? They just sort of cut in corners. They're not going to walk. They're not going to walk the narrow way. They're going to walk the broad way and still expect God's blessing, still expect kind of, and for a while, God's going to say, man, I'm going to work with him. 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 At some point, God just says, wait a minute. <laughs> you think he did that with Ted Haggard? I'm going to work with him. I'm going to try to help him. I'm going to try to help him. He's struggling. Come on, man. Come on. Get it right. Come on. Confess your sin. Let's get this thing out. Boom. All of a sudden, it's just whatever is done in secret is shouted from the housetops. That's what's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in my life. If I'm living in, if I'm living in the shadows, you don't want to live in the shadows. I think here this guy is playing a game with God's standard. Oh, it's just a little area. It's just one of those little, I mean, what's the deal, man? A dead lion, a little honey out of the dead lion. Hey, it was one of your, it was one of your callings. It was part of that marking on, on your generation, part of being a Nazarite. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just kind of doing whatever I want. It's, oh, it's just a little thing that's added to the other little thing he compromised. It's added on to the other little thing he compromises on and added to kind of how the relationship he, Look at this relationship with his wife and has this really weird relationship with his wife. Tell me about the answer to the riddle, you know. 
And just listen to this. This is a wife. This is the kind of relationship he has with his wife, okay? This is the, this is the level of, of maturity and interaction he has. Samson's wife wept, wept before him. You wholly hate me, and you don't love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people, and you haven't told it to me. He said, behold, I have not told it to my mother or father. Why should I tell you? So however, though she wept before him seven days while this feast lasted, and it came about on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. Then she told the riddle to the sons of her people. I mean, manipulation. I mean, where's the honesty? Where's the communion? Where's the interaction? Where's the plain relationship here? I mean, God, I, I, I don't want some relation like that. Seven days of conflict, and she's whining and wants this, and and manipulating him, and that sounds like a really neat relationship. Just what I'm looking forward to. Come on, I'm sure you're looking forward to the same kind of thing. Body, soul, and spirit, oneness, you know, harmony, communication, right? Really great. Playing games. One big game. Something happens, get this. Verse 20 says, Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. The father of this wife kind of took his daughter back and ended up giving, giving his wife to one of Samson's companions. So his, hearts get, his heart gets ripped out of his gut, gut. So he had some brokenness in his life. Verse 15 of, of, of chapter, verse, verse two of chapter 15 says, his, her father really said to Samson, I really thought you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Here, isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she? Let her be yours instead. That was, how deep, that was how little value was put on women in those days, that, is the dads could kind of trade the girls and use them for, to make alliances, or, man, it didn't work out with one. So here, take your little sister instead. And Samson has to deal with that loss, and he's angry later. Later, the Philistines come up, and they burn this, this gal, his, his first wife, and her father. Because Samson was so hurt and mad, he lit the foxtails on fire and sent them into the fields and burn all the Philistine crops. So they think, man, what's the deal? Who got Samson riled up? Well, we did. Well, you're paying for it. We're killing you. That's what they did. They took the life of his first wife and the father. So he's going through all this kind of stuff. Then God's people find out, and then the Philistines are mad because of the foxes and the and burning of the fields. So God's people come and say, where's Samson? We're gonna tie him up and give him into the hand of the Philistines. That's great. This is God's people. His own people then come and betray him and tie him up, give him in the hands of God's people or a uh, hand of the enemy. They bind him up and, and hand him over to the Philistines. You kind of follow the story along in verse 16, chapter 16, Samson is down in Gaza and he sees a harlot there and he goes into her. I mean, the guy, I'm thinking, you're supposed to be the leader of God's people, guy. Now it's not just that he has a broken heart by marrying some daughter that's not even part of Israel. Now he's got a broken heart. He lost his wife. I don't know if he's feeling sorry for himself. I don't know if he never won the battle for sexual self-control. But certainly going into a prostitute is totally out of, out of bounds. And not only that, he does that, and then four verses later, he gets involved with another gal. And now Delilah comes along. Delilah. After this, verse four, it says, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Sounds like she's one of the Philistine girls again. This guy just can't get away from those Philistine girls, man. I mean, you think, 
are, aren't any of the Hebrew girls? I mean, you know, sometimes the Hebrew girls aren't attractive to a guy like that because he knows they have a boundary in their spirit. And he just can't get, he just knows that he can't. It's weird. It's a spiritual thing. She's got a boundary. And you can't take advantage of her like you would take advantage of this Philistine girl. And you know it. That's why you spend time with the Philistine girls. Missionary dating 101. I'm going to bring her to church. I'm going to, I am, I'm going to. Now look at bringing people to church is great. I think, man, all the young adult gals ought to bring the young adult, other young adult gals to church. Do it. And young, young adult guys, you bring those young adult guys to church, that's great, man. I mean, that's cool. That's how people find. I'd be really careful about missionary dating. Once your heart gets connected, it's pretty hard to disconnect your heart. And you could get burned like Samson got burned. You can have some experiences that damage you so severely, it's going to make it difficult to even relate to the right kind of people in the future. You know that? Some of you have been there. And you think, man, Lord, only if you help me, I'm going to be able to have a decent relationship with somebody. Because I got messed up. I've been messed up. I've been hurt. I've experienced some stuff I never should have experienced, man. And I don't know if I can trust any young lady. I don't know if I can trust any young man because of what I've experienced. And it was at the hands of somebody who didn't have a boundary, didn't have that. That's what happened to Samson. Delilah didn't even say he married her. It, just, it was just his girl. Just He even threw out the marriage part. Man, he just he got burned, he got hurt. Now he's not even, sounds like the young adult generation to me. <laughs> and then she's for sale. I don't know. I mean, she... They come and see her and they're worried about him because they know he's supposed to be a deliverer of Israel and they say, look it, work a thing on him. We'll pay you off, okay? It's a lot of money. We're gonna, each of us, we're gonna give you 1,100 pieces. I don't know how many people were talking to her, the lords of the Philistines. So we got, it's the ruling council of the Philistines. How many of you think is on the ruling council? Five maybe, 10? Even if it was five, she's gonna get 5,500 pieces of silver for selling Samson out. It's gonna buy a lot of stuff at Nordstrom's, you know? She's gonna be looking sharp. She can find a new boyfriend. I mean, she could ditch Samson so fast, find herself a new boyfriend, have a little money. I mean, she's for sale. This is the spirit of a harlot, you guys, who gives, some, who gives something to get something. Being a harlot isn't just about money always. It's about giving something to get something. That's why what you do with your power to attract as a woman is so huge. Because you can give your sexuality, you can give your power to attract, and you can use that to manipulate to try to get something. Security, to get a relationship. You're operating in the spirit of harlotry. That's not the heart of a daughter. That's not the heart of a sister. That's using something God gave you for your own purposes. It'll destroy the person you're involved with. It'll destroy your own life. You're going to end up playing games like Delilah, who was for sale. She sold out. You have to decide if you're a daughter, am I for sale? <laughs> Is what I have been given back to God, or am I still using what I got to try to get some stuff for me? The greatest thing you could do is say, God, you gave me beauty as a daughter. You gave me a power to attract as a daughter. And I want to take that and give that back to you. Will you teach me how to live as a daughter? I want to be a daughter. I want to be a sister. 
I do not want to be a 21st century Delilah. It's not who I am. And I know it's going to create unhappiness for me, unhappiness for you, God, and unhappiness for others that are involved with me if I operate that way. There won't be reality. There won't be honesty in this relationship. There'll be manipulation. There'll be games. There'll be this weird kind of relating. I mean, Delilah is, they go through this whole thing. You know the story. I mean, how many different times she says, tell me the secret of your strength, Samson. Please tell me. Well, dear, it's, um, you know, the first time he says, well, it's if they bind me with seven fresh cords that haven't been dried, I'll be weak like any other man. So the, she tells him and says, if, they, if you bind them, if, if we bind them up with seven fresh cords, it, it, they'll be weak, you know. And I think three or four times she goes through this, this game. And at the end, she's, she, at, by the last time she goes, verse 13, of chapter Delilah says to Samson, up to now you've deceived me and told me lies. You tell me how, how, Verse 15, she says, oh, how can you say I love you when your heart isn't with me? You've deceived me these three times. You haven't told me where your great strength is. Oh, my gosh. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed unto death. Man. But that, that's what can happen when your relationship is based on unreality. You got daughters living with the guys. He got what he wants. She's getting none of what she wants. And she's pleading all the time. How come you're always going out with the guys? How come you don't want to stay home with me? <laughs> Talk to any friends? Talk to some girlfriends that are in that situation? You heard their stories. The guy's out every, you know, he's, he doesn't even like what he's in. He's only staying there because he's getting a little friend's benefit in that relationship. And she is slowly becoming aware of that. And she thinks, how could I have gotten myself in this situation? That's a horrible discovery for a daughter to make. And then she begins to annoy someone to death with her pleading, with her clinging, with her hope. There's a lot of Samsons out there. They got, they're in the weight room. They're pumping up the muscles, man. They're looking good on the outside. There's no character development on the inside. And they got some babe, Delilah, and they relate like this. Isn't that neat? I'm not, you know, that's the only reason I'm talking about it because I don't, I don't want that for you. I wouldn't want that in a million years for you. But you're going to have to do something to not have something like this. You're going to have to decide you're not going to be a daughter like Delilah. And you're going to have to decide who your friends are going to be if you're a Samson. And what fishbowl you're going to fish out of, so to speak. What kingdom you're really living in. Whether you got the guts as a man to deal with daughters that have a standard in their life. And probably some dads in their life or older brothers in their life who are going to look you in the face if you mess around and start to do anything that's going to hurt one of them. And that's the best thing you could have in your face you don't think the guys that have come to me and said they want to be friends with my daughters, guess what? They had to deal with me. I don't hate them, but they had to deal with me. We had some talks. We have some stuff. You know, we have some ways we do stuff. Because you know what? It's my daughter's life. And man, if you're going to be the right man for her, then I'm, I'll bless you. you just, I want to see it, though. 
They don't give you the new car without going through the stuff, the credit report. They got to see the stuff before you get the stuff. Well, I'm telling you, my daughter's worth a lot more than a car. So I got to see the stuff. Got to see the character. I want to see what's going on inside you. I want to feel like, man, who I'm entrusting my daughter's heart and life to is somebody worth that is not like Samson. She looked good to me. <laughs> and Slinky Delilah. You can imagine. How can you say you love me when your heart isn't with me? Oh boy, his soul was annoyed to death, it says. You know, when a daughter, listen, when a daughter who is designed by God for safety and security and permanence and commitment and intimacy and communication gets none of that, and there's games and deceit and no real truth, then when she begins to feel insecure, she's going to be reaching and trying to create security. She's going to create security by pleading, by manipulation by whatever she can to try to make this to create a better, safer, more secure, more stable situation for herself. That's what you got. Well, the end of the story is really sad. They finally get him, don't they? He finally caves in. He can't stand it anymore. He says, okay, I'm telling you the truth. And he tells her the truth. And it wasn't because his hair got cut. His hair represented his conviction, right? The cutting of it wasn't about the cutting of his hair. It was, it was symbolic. The cutting of his hair was his dedication to God, his willingness to say, I'm a Nazarite. It's my commitment. It's my connection to you, God. It keeps me with that strength of spirit. That's what it was about. So when he compromised, they got him. They jumped him. It's incredible what happened. It says, verse 21 of chapter 6, it says, they, the Philistines seized him finally and gouged his eyes out. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. This guy was called to be a leader for Israel. And he ended up blind and bound. And you don't have to spiritualize too much there, do you? Who wants to end up blind and bound and miss out on your calling in life? Blind because God stopped showing you stuff because you stopped obeying him. That's how you get blind. Spiritual blindness isn't always having your eyes put out. It's where God stops showing you stuff because what he's shown you before, you aren't walking in. So then he just pulls that away and he, and he reduces the amount of light and revelation. So he just doesn't show you anymore because he doesn't want you so guilty from not obeying what you've already seen. That's blindness. Spiritual blindness can come that way. The symbolism, the, the, the story is he got blinded, but that's, that's what happens. We become spiritually blind and then we get bound. He was bound by, he had been bound long before this by his own lust. Now he was bound, actually really bound. And he gets one last chance as he repents. He says, Lord, help me. You think, how, how much could he have done for God rather than just kill these last people in this last kind of last effort? He says he, he pushed the pillars, you know, of that, that party the Philistines were having. The building caves in and kills 3,000 of their leaders, but also kills him. That was the end of his life. That was it. Short life. A life a lot less than what could have been. God's mercy came and gave him a little, a little chance to, to serve the purposes of God. But you think, man, what, what could have been if you would have walked the right way? It's a sad story. Let's shift to David real quick. David, a whole different story. I'm not going to take a long time with David. You understand the story of David. Do you guys know that David was hated by his dad 
or forgotten by his dad. Remember when the, when the, when the announcement came, David, you're going to be, or when the announcement came, Samuel came to town to anoint the new king of Israel. And, and uh, Jesse, was, it was Jesse's town. And so they lined up, Jesse lined up all his sons thinking, surely one of my studly sons is going to get the call. And Samuel, the judge, looks at Jesse and says, do you have any other, other children? I mean, something's up. I mean, the guy read his mail and said, you don't got all your kids here. Boy, that's uncomfortable. Probably because Jesse, get this, probably because Jesse got some other lady pregnant with David. Remember Psalm 51 said in my, in Psalm 51 said this, it said, in, in, in sin did my mother conceive me? Now, either he was talking about our sin nature, extreme Calvinism, or he was talking about Jesse's other girlfriend who was David's mom. And all the other boys were born okay. But this guy was an embarrassment and he kind of quietly kept him and said, get up on the hill. I just don't want you around. I don't want everybody to know about my mistake. And that's what he had to grow up with. You're the bastard son of our family. What do you think the animosity of his brothers was about? Why did his brothers hate him so much? Remember when he went from the mountain where he was tending the sheep down to take the cheese and the bread to his brothers who were fighting the battle with the Philistines where he met Goliath? Remember that? Remember he went on the errand that his father sent him? His father sent him on the errand to go down there. And when he got there, his brother said, what are you doing down here? Come down to see the battle? You should have stayed up there on the hill with those sheep, you little wuss. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what he said to him, And they assumed the very worst motivation about him. They assumed the very worst about him and, and said it to his face. No encouragement, no thanks, bro. Hey, man, thanks for coming down. Nothing. Pure disgust, revulsion, rejection, reproach, hatred. David had a broken heart. He experienced a lot of sorrow, a lot of rejection. Even his own stepdad, Saul, Saul kind of took him into his house. And remember, remember Saul took him into his house and he started, he was a minstrel and he would sing the, and even after a while, Saul, his own stepdad tried to kill him. Talk about rejection in his life. He had all the hope, man, I got a new kind of dad that seems to like me, value me. And pretty soon he's just serving God and he kills the Goliath and the lady starts singing the song. Saul slayed his thousands, but David is 10,000s and Saul gets jealous of his own stepson and tries to kill him. You think that hurts? Boy, that'd be enough to start, you'd start thinking, man, I deserve a little, man, I'm, I've had a hard life. You know, a lot of guys think I have a hard life. I had a hard life. I deserve a little, little compromise. It's been tough for me. So I, I deserve a little, maybe a little gal on the side or a little, you know, I mean, I, a little compromised sexually. I mean, it's, it's been hard. I'm still a Christian, but this has been hard for me. I've had a lot of loss, a lot of rejection, a lot of kind of feel sorry for myself. <clears throat> you got to make a decision, young adult, young adult man. You got to make a decision. You got to decide that no matter what happens to your life, that you don't, you don't make excuses for yourself. David never did that, not in his early years. I hate, I gotta show you the next part of David's life. He made a huge, huge blunder. Look at 2 Samuel 11. 
he does great. He fights the battles. He, he, he goes through the stuff. Everything is really, it's good. It's, it's <clears throat> victory over the enemies. And God is using this young king to do great things for him. And something changes. You've heard this preached before. It's a common theme, but there was a time when the kings went out to battle and it was a normal, it was normal. And David should have been out there. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, says this, verse one, it says, it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. David was the king. You understand that? David didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't, he didn't do what was customary. I don't know what got into his mind. I don't know if he just thought, man, I'm above this. I don't need to deal with this. Everything's cool. It happened in the spring of the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. That sounds like a small thing. See, if David had gone out to battle like he was supposed to, guess what would have never happened? The thing with Bathsheba would have never happened. You understand that? That's what happened. The Bathsheba thing that messed up his whole life and the whole, all his children, the judgment of God came on his family. I mean, the, all the heartache that followed that, the Bathsheba incident happens because he was not going out to battle. You think about that. You think of a little compromise like that. You know, that's part of being a, a servant of God. I could, I could analyze, I could look at your life. I could look at my life when I was a young adult, young adult look at your life when you're a young adult. One of the greatest things you could do is get involved in building the kingdom of God. Not only just to, to be around other people who are worth meeting. If you're a young man, you're gonna meet some sisters who are laboring for the kingdom of God. Seriously, that's the kind of, that's the kind of sister you wanna meet to have a friendship with that would start with a friendship and someone you, who could be potentially a marriage partner is someone who's got a heart to build the kingdom of God. You don't want someone sitting around singing in the choir, hoping, you know, here I am. How, how do I look today? No, I'm, I'm just saying singing in the choir. I'm just saying where your whole purpose is to be this on display. I want some gals rolling their sleeves up and saying, I've, there's some stuff to do in the kingdom of God. You know, I've got some dreams and I have some desires, but you know what? I'm, I'm gonna labor in the kingdom of God. Well, you know where you're gonna run into someone like that? When you're laboring for the kingdom of God because you end up on the same team with her. You end up in the same mission field with her. You end up in the same uh, young adult uh, uh, leadership team or the same uh, outreach team to the juvenile jail or the same uh, nursing home outreach deal or the same tutoring deal where it's taking the young people to tutor you bump into somebody who's got a heart to serve the kingdom of God and is not sit around and singing a sad song about their sad life. Excuse me. <laughs> They're saying, I'm taking what God's given me and I'm going for God. Who's the gal that was watering the camel when the guy sent the servant to look for a wife for his master? And what was the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord was the gal that comes and says, can I water your camels also? was the kind of gal this guy wants. And man, they calculate how many gallons, was it 250 gallons of water to, to water that number of camels? Because each one of them needs about 20 or 30 gallons. 
And she probably went down to the well and got a five-gallon jug and went up and down that, those steps of that well 100 times or 50 times to, to fill up enough for the camels. That's a gal who's working hard. That's a gal who's got some, she's got something. She's not just sitting around making her, her beauty and her life the center of her world. Everything about her is focusing her life toward the king. That's attractive to a kingdom of God, man. David, I don't know, I don't know what happened. He had a heart after God. Maybe, his, maybe the message about David's life is, man, I don't care who you are, what you think, where you're at, married or single, you better watch this spirit. This spirit is after every young person, married, unmarried, female or male. It's the spirit of sexual immorality. It's the spirit of sexual com compromise through fantasy, through magazine, through relationship, through adultery, you better watch it. It can get anyone. It can even get David, who had a heart for God, a heart of intimacy, where he came down from the mountain of intimacy. He came into that valley. He saw Goliath. He fought the, the giant. He brought victory to Israel. And he got kind of on a groove, on a kind of a plateau. He kind of was kind of cruising. And just a little thing where he didn't go to war, just, just kind of let up a little bit. After lots of success, Lots of success, doing good, feeling good, feeling strong, looking good. And that thing, just a little crack in the door and that spirit comes, zones in on him, puts the hook in him. And look what he did. Unbelievable what he did. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to read this. In the evening, David arose from his bed because he hadn't gone to war, stayed in Jerusalem, wasn't fighting with his men sent his commanders to do stuff that he wasn't willing to do. If you're a leader, you better be doing it. You gotta do it. You don't got a choice. If you're a worship team leader, you gotta do it. You don't have a choice. You better be walking it. Get off until you're doing it right. Go to your leaders and say, I'm not there. Don't play a game. Don't do the charade. That spirit, is at, it'll come after you. I'm not saying you gotta be perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. I'm talking about what's in your heart, okay? Hear me right, but you watch this spirit. This was David. It was David. Unbelievable. David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. He could have still got out of it, you know that? What was it saying, Job? I've, I've trained my eyes not to Google at another woman, not to oogle, oogle at her, or is it Google? <laughs> it's the same thing, isn't it? Google or oogle? Because there are a lot of people oogling after they Google because they put sex in there and push the button. It's the same deal. Googling and oogling. I made a covenant with my eyes. That's what Job said. I made a covenant with my eyes not to Oogle, not to look. He sees that lady on the roof taking a bath, and he says, oh, there's a lady taking a bath on the roof in that direction. I like standing on the roof. I think I'll turn this way and enjoy the sunset. Or I think maybe I'll visit the roof. Let me give her another 15 minutes to get done, and I think I'll, you know, I can come back up on the roof in a few minutes. She'll be finished. It's called making a decision. The guy's the most powerful man in the, in the kingdom, he's gonna use his influence in the wrong kind of way. 
saw a woman who was beautiful. She was bathing, and the woman was beautiful in appearance. David's, now this is it. He, this is it. It's over. He inquires about the woman. He's got his team. Who is that lady? Just curious. Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? You know that, that Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men, the guys that hung out in the cave with him when he was unpopular? It was one of his main warriors. And he finds out it's his wife. You think that would be enough? Come on, David, what about your loyalty to your men? What have you caved in on? It's not just your lust now. You're talking about a guy's life who laid his life down for you and you're gonna mess up his whole life, take from his, his marriage. <clears throat> David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. Just like that. Momentary pleasure. I mean, what is life all about, David? You don't got enough self-control. You've got your own wife. You've got your own situation. And so this little moment of temptation is conceived in your mind. You see this gal taking a bath, and you look, and you watch, and then you make some inquiry. And you even find out it's somebody, not just some strange woman has no connection to you at all, this is one of your main guys' wife. One of the guys that risked his life for you. So loyal that when he, when he gets her pregnant, he tries to get him home from the battlefront and encourage him to go down and sleep with her so, so we can find out, because she sends a word she's pregnant, and he wants everyone to think that she's pregnant by her, her own husband. Because he's been gone long enough at war that the jig is up, and if she comes up pregnant, he hasn't been around. So he tries to set it up, and the guy's got so much integrity, he says, I can't sleep with my wife because everybody else in the war, everybody else, all my brothers who are fighting don't have the luxury of being with their wives, and I can't, because I'm committed, I'm in one spirit with my team, one spirit in this battle, I'm not gonna commit that. I could, but I'm not gonna. That's like us being on a team saying, I'm walking in purity. How about all of us walking in purity for the team, for the kingdom of God? That you're gonna wait as a single young man. You're gonna walk in integrity and in modesty and innocence as a young woman instead of play games and live in the shadows and take, sneak your hand in a cookie jar. Suppose we all say, look at no cookie jars until the right time because God's good enough. He's a loving father. It's not about a bunch of rules. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He put a loving boundary around his gift of sexuality because he knows us better than we know ourselves and he doesn't want us to be destroyed. That's what he's all about. He's not some cosmic killjoy that wants to withhold good things from us. We think we're so wise that we can cut corners and do what we want and break his moral law and not suffer any consequence. What's that about? And all we get is guilt and shame and heartache. You think after a couple times we'd learn. Ow, I got burned, Lord. I mean, your, your way must be right. Anybody been burned? I mean, come on. So David, unbelievable. Uriah doesn't come back. He doesn't spend any time with his wife. So guess what David ends up doing? He says, well, then let's do this. When the, war start, when the battle starts, I'm gonna put Uriah on the front line where he's almost guaranteed of getting killed. 
So he sets up his friend to be killed. That's how far this goes. This is David. Talk about sin. Talk about ugly. It's like the abortion situation today in your generation. The life of somebody else gets taken out because of my selfishness. This wasn't abortion, but man, what's the, you know, maybe it's a 35-year-old man instead of a little child who's six weeks old in the womb. What's the difference? My selfishness is responsible for the loss of somebody else's life because I don't have enough self-control. I don't have enough revelation just to walk uprightly before God with God's grace and God's help that I'll do what's right before him. That's David. Last one's Joseph. Genesis 39. Another story. Joseph. This is a good story. This is a good one. It's amazing. Joseph is, he lost everything. Here's a young dreamer. You remember the story of Joseph? He's a young dreamer. He's got dreams. God's speaking to him in dreams. And he tells people the dreams and the dreams are like him ruling over his brothers. His brothers didn't like that. I thought, maybe you shouldn't tell your dreams to your brothers. Maybe start with your dad. And they get so jealous of him, they sell him off. And man, he gets, he loses everything. He loses all the years growing up with his dad. He gets sold into slavery in some caravan that takes him into a distant land. He ends up in a distant land in a different language, growing up among a different people. Unbelievable. A lot of loss. I mean, we're back to the story of David, man. Rejection, reproach, loss. I mean, certainly he can make some excuses to man to take, I mean, certainly, Lord, I should be able to reach my hand in the cookie jar once in a while. I've had it really rough. How about a little sexual compromise here just to kind of, it's been really hard on me. I mean, I can do all the other stuff, but I, I deserve something here, Lord. It's been hard. I haven't had the emotional love from my mom and my dad's not been around, and so I need a little comfort from one of the sisters, you know, just a little comfort. He was taken down to Egypt. Some guy, Potiphar, the captain of the bodyguard, says, bought him. So he's a slave. He's bought by the captain of the bodyguard, brought to his house, and it says the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, how the Lord caused all he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph found favor in his sight, became his personal servant. He made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about from the time he had made him overseer in his house over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Man. And the Lord's blessing was on all he owned in the house and the field. He left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was in charge of everything. He had a hard life. He was a slave. He wasn't married. What happened? Sexual temptation comes to him. Now, does, Je does Joseph have a destiny? <clears throat> <clears throat> Joseph has got a destiny. Who would like to see the destiny destroyed? It is the power of darkness at work here? In the form of who? The wife of the guy. Here she is. It came about after these days, his master's wife looked at desire with Joseph and she said, 
lie with me. Come on, guy. The master's gone. And you're a handsome dude. That was the call to him. He refused and said to his master's wife, listen to this guy now. This is it. This is the guy. He said, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything that's in the house. And he has put all he owns in my charge. There was no one greater in the house than me. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. Sounds like the garden, doesn't it? You can have anything from any tree except for from this tree, you can't have it. You know, life is like that. Do you guys understand that the culture of entitlement and the culture of indulgence that is spoken to the young and adult generation saying, get what you want, as much as you want, the culture of entitlement. You deserve this. You, should, you expect it. Expect it. Indulge yourself. No limitations on your appetites. Come on. Go after it. Runs totally contrary to what God wants for you. Here's the situation. Life is like that. Life is full of limit, limited expression of your appetites. Do you know there is no place where you have unlimited expression of your appetites in food or money or power or sexuality? That your whole life is limited indulgence, limited expression of your appetites, that God designed life like that because these things are monsters and unless you have some rule over them, through the Holy Spirit, they'll eat you alive. You don't think money will eat you alive? You don't think pride and power will eat you alive? You don't think food will consume you and rule over you? How about sexual lust? Every one of them has huge power. And God said in, in, in his creation, he set boundaries around every one of those. So the fantasy of unlimited eating from the trough of, you know, whatever, isn't there. It's not real. And anybody that will eat from that and think they're gonna be unlimited, they come in for a rude awakening. So he's just outlining to her, look at how can I, he's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife and I'm a, I'm a man of God. I'm a Hebrew man of God and my God has put a boundary around sexuality and I don't cross these boundaries. I don't care what you're saying to me. I don't care how much you say you want to give yourself to me. Guess what? You belong to him. I deny myself. I belong to God. I operate by his standard. I have a revelation of his goodness in spite of the difficulty I've been through. Think about what he'd been through. And more was coming because he did this. He was going into the pit real quick. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? He had so much revelation. I just think, man, my prayer is every young man would have that kind of revelation. You'd have the revelation of Joseph. You'd have the spirit of Joseph, the revelation of Joseph, and he would take you and make you a ruler like Joseph with influence like Joseph and the ability to help people like Joseph. Gosh, you don't know how much your generation is waiting for some Josephs. He's waiting for a Joseph like you, man. If you'll let God help you, he'll change your mind. He'll change your heart. He'll cleanse your spirit. He'll break the power of old lust. Break it. 
wash you, cleanse you. We need some Josephs. Where are they? The daughters, many daughters, waiting, waiting on God, waiting for a Joseph to come along, a man of honor, not some guy dancing around with the Philistine girls till he thinks he wants to get married and he thinks, well, I'm just gonna shift over to the kingdom girls now. It don't work like that. You think you can dance with the Philistine girls and walk into the church with your old habits and your old thinking? They end up being sadly kind of disappointed, saying, you know what, he's a great, he's a nice guy, doesn't have a heart doesn't have a heart for the things of God. And God's told me I'm not to connect with anyone like that because they're not gonna contribute to their own unhappiness. I'm not talking about maturity process. I'm talking about a heart for the things of God. It's where my girls are at. They're gonna choose to walk with God and wait rather than to say, I'm gonna get involved with someone. Is this a judgment on somebody? Oh, you're judging me. No, we're talking about life. And God's asked us to evaluate people, not judge them to hell, but to discern and say, you know what? We have a right to make some evaluations. We do that with everything. How come, how come the boss gets to do that at work? Your heart ain't in it. You got the pink slip. I'm giving you two more days. You're judging me. You're evaluating. Yeah, I'm evaluating you. Does the manager on the sports team do the same thing? The coach? Your heart ain't in it, son. I'm putting Charlie in your spot unless you can show me some stuff. You're judging. Please don't judge me. You're judging me. You're making me feel really bad. No, I'm making an evaluation. I'm not condemning you there forever. I'm saying really by confronting you, I'm saying you got the stuff. I'm not seeing it. What's wrong? That should be an invitation to rise up and be who you're supposed to be. Maybe a dad talking to some guy saying, what are you doing? could call them up to where they're supposed to be. You want some princesses? You gotta be a prince. It's easy. And it came about, listen to this, it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day. This wasn't one day. This is every day. Can you imagine? I wonder what kind of outfit she wore after the husband leaves the house. She's got it on all the way. This is on full blast. And all day long, this spirit is going like this to him. Trying to reel him in, make him a loaf of bread, take his destiny away, take his calling away, take everything away, strip him from everything, everything. One moment, everything gone could happen to me. One moment, everything, I lose everything. I lose my ministry, my family, my, the expect of my children, everything in one moment. Every minister in one moment. One moment. Living for some experience, some moment. We gotta rule over that, guys. God's given us the ability to rule over that. That's not, God loves our male sexuality, but he has never wanted that to rule over us. We are to rule over it. He'll help us. He'll give you what you need. He, the word is here. The brothers are here. The Holy Spirit is here. Fathers are here. You can make it. You can walk. You can grow. You can mature. You can be a prince if you want to be. You don't have to be in a cycle of defeat. I mean, look, let's break the cycle of defeat. 
I've been coming here for years. Listen to me. Some of you need to get out of the cycle of defeat once and for all. You need to get a game plan. You need to sit down with some people and say, if you haven't been able to dig yourself out, then get with some people and say, make me a game plan. I'm not able, I'm not, I haven't been able to do it. What do you think? Talk to some men who've made, the, who've made it. Talk to some young men who've made it and say, what did you do to make it? I wanna make it. I do wanna be married someday. There are some daughters here that are awesome, but I just haven't been able to make it. Then get some help. Get out of that cycle. Whatever it takes, I give you permission to call me into my destiny. That's manhood, man. That's, that's, I mean, come on. Came about that she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen. Listen to, listen to the three things he did. He did not listen to her. I hope to lie beside her so he didn't listen to her or even be with her. I mean, you gotta cut it off. You can't even play the game. You can't even be around that spirit. You get around that spirit, it will take you out. That's why just hanging out with the Philistine girls, hanging out with any daughter that's got no boundary around her life, man, that thing is pulling on you. It's like being in a subway in the Ukraine with a video screen showing music videos and you're standing there and you know if you look, you're gonna see stuff. But you're sitting there looking like this and you can't look up because it's there, but you're sitting there the whole time and you know that thing is pulling on you saying, look up, look up. You ever been in a situation like that? It's right there pulling on you. You think, I wonder if it's over yet. It's not over yet. It just wars against you. It's just on you. Manhood is about, okay, I gotta look at my toes the rest of this ride. I guess I'm gonna do it. Because I care about you, Lord, and I care about your kingdom, and I care about all the daughters in the earth. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? She said, lie with me. Do you know that every place in the Bible where there's sexuality outside of marriage, guess what expression they use when they talk about sexuality? They use this expression, lie with me. And everywhere inside God's covenant of marriage, it says the man knew his wife, body, soul, and spirit oneness. Isn't that interesting? Just a commentary on the words. She was saying, have sex with me. And this expression is used everywhere. It says, when David laid with Bathsheba, he says he laid with her. It was just sex. There was no intimacy, no body, soul, and spirit oneness, no communion, no intimacy, no closeness. It was just sex, the passion of the moment, lust, sex with animals, sex with dead people, sex with prostitutes, rape, same word used. That's what she's saying to him. Lie with me. And he says no. He goes to prison. He pays a price. And God's able to even take him out of that place and put him into his destiny. I want to see some young men that are willing to pay a price. If it really costs him something. It really cost him a lot. And you know who Potiphar was? Let me talk about Potiphar one second and we're done. Potiphar... You know who Potiphar was? He was the captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguard. What kind of guy is the captain of the Pharaoh? The Pharaoh is the president of Egypt. He's the head guy. And Potiphar was the head of the bodyguard. 
the SWAT team that protects him. So what kind of man is Potiphar? Very sensitive, listening, caring. No, he's in the weight room pumping weights. He's, can you see him walking around? I mean, this guy is Mr. Macho, probably totally insensitive to the needs of his wife. And she is starved to death, literally starved to death for attention. She's not receiving the love she was designed to have. She's not cherished. She's not communicated with. She's not valued. I'm sure he pays plenty of attention to her when he wants a physical relationship, and the rest of the time she gets nothing. Do you think that might give you a little hint? It's wrong still, but what was going on in her heart when she saw Joseph? Excuse me, Mrs. Potiphar, I've taken care of this, this, and this today. Will there be anything else? Uh, no, Joseph, but thanks so much. He's so kind to me. He talks to me. Because a daughter's heart's designed for that valuing, that communication, that sense of connectedness. And she had probably less than zero from Mr. Macho Man that probably married her to, to be a trophy wife in this Egyptian system of high politics. She's the banker's wife, the doctor's wife, the business owner's wife, the busy minister's wife who never is cherished, never communicated, never valued. There's a haunting loneliness and emptiness in her heart. It doesn't make it right, but it's an empty daughter's heart. That's what's out there. We don't want our girls growing up that way. We hope their daughters are, have their hearts filled with their dad's love, that every wife is being cherished and communicated with and valued way beyond, I want sexuality from you, just for who she is as a person. That's what our calling is, is man. That's why we've got to deal with the sexuality spirit before we get married rather than figure it out afterwards. That's what I'm talking to you about, like I'm talking to you tonight. Three men, three destinies, lots of stuff in here. Why don't we stand together? We'll just ask the Lord to visit us tonight. My heart's cry is that, man, there wouldn't be the spirit of Delilah in this room. You don't want to be a Delilah. You don't want to be a Delilah. You don't want to be a Samson. You don't want to be a David who's been doing good. And now you're kind of coasting. It just takes one second to make a wrong, stupid, bad choice. You don't want to be an empty-hearted daughter like a Potiphar's wife to deal with your empty heart. You've got to be honest with God. Lord, my heart's empty. My dad didn't fill my heart. I've had some relationships that have hurt me. My identity has been friendships with men. You're speaking to me. You're saying, I want your identity to be with me. Speaking to you as a daughter, saying, I want your identity to be your connection to me. Start there. I'm, I know how to get you to Mr. Right number two. <laughs> but you got to get connected with Mr. Right number one first before you try to deal with Mr. Right number two. It ain't ever going to work. It will never work. Maybe there's some Josephs here that are saying, I'm willing to do what's right. And reject that temptation that comes day after day. I mean, day after day. But that's our life, guys. That's what's out there. It's day after day. And every day we say no, we get a little stronger. Every, we get to start getting the victory, man. With God's grace. You know, God can turn a Samson into a Joseph. 
You can even restore a David who's done some really dumb things. Make him a Joseph too. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe you're a Samson or a David. And God's saying, I want you to be a Joseph tonight. And he's speaking to you specifically about where you're at, what you're doing, what you're involved in right now, the kind of relationship you're in, the kind of motivation, the kind of communication. I don't know why I spoke on this stuff. I never preached this sermon ever. But if he's speaking to you tonight, I want you to respond to God right now. Just you respond to God and say, hey, I saw a little Samson in me here tonight. I don't want that. I want to be a Joseph. That's you. I want you to respond to the Lord. You can be honest with him. Just come and stand before the Lord and say, I kind of play some games. I got this little way of, there's something attractive to me about the Philistine girl, but I know it's not right, and I don't want that in my heart. You change it, Lord. Can you respond to God tonight? Just say, Lord, this is what I want. I want to operate your way. We'll just wait on God. Anybody else just feels like, hey, that's me. God's speaking to me. Any daughters feel like God's speaking to you? You don't want to be a Delilah. (laughs) Say, Lord, take it out of me. Help me. Change me. You know, if you have to come to the altar a thousand times and say, Lord, here's my power to attract again. I do not want this to be my identity. I don't want this to be my identity. I want my relationship with you to be my identity, not my power to attract, not my physical sexual beauty. I'm just offering that back to you. You help me. I give it to you. I surrender it to you. That's the holiest thing a daughter can do. I mean, every time I come, I say, daughters, it's your chance to say this to God. Here's my power to attract. Get in the habit of giving that to God. It's so important to do that. And to do it really before the Lord. 